The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Can we get a cup of coffee in here, please? Got it. Distortion going on. Some distortion going on somewhere. I don't know. Is it me? Is it distorted on my end? I don't know. Good morning, folks. Whether it's distorted or not. Let me know. It is Monday, December 26th, 2022. I hope you have the day off today. Not everybody does. Day after Christmas. Here in America, a lot of businesses... This is the official celebration of Christmas because it falls on a Sunday. But not every business is doing that. Some businesses are just not my kind of business, if you know what I mean. They they don't really, um, they don't get into the full holiday spirit, not paying days off for people, not letting people take the day after Christmas. What kind of world do we live in? Uh, good morning, uh, Kevin and Mike. Mike says he's sick like a dog. A lot of that going around. This uh, RSV virus is the big thing now. Uh, COVID is making a comeback, at least on the West Coast, and flu season. So we got uh, three of them going on at once, and people are sick everywhere. Um, I was supposed to have four meetings today. Uh, All got canceled because people are sick. Uh, A lot of people aren't getting it uh, checked out. So it could be RSV. And I never heard of RSV until about a week ago uh, when my father-in-law came down with it. Uh, Now it seems to be everywhere. It might have been what I had two weeks ago when I was coughing my brains out and was coming up negative for COVID. Uh, COVID is making a comeback, though. If you you watch the uh, issues with Andy thing on Friday, uh, apparently a lot of people on the West Coast Andy, I believe, has COVID. His wife has COVID. People on the West Coast are uh, seeing a uptick in COVID numbers again. (sighs) Never going to go away, folks. And like the flu, I think it's going to come around every year now. And um, people are going to have to deal with it. It's just going to be another part of life. And like I said, we have the flu going on. And now this new RSV virus, which is a respiratory virus, which, you know, similar to COVID. A lot of the symptoms were similar to COVID, you know, coughing and respiratory problems. Hope you're doing well with that. Hope you had a pleasant holiday weekend, even if you are sick and you're recovering. Um, I, I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but I am a Debbie Downer. I am really, really fed up with the Republican Party. Texas Republican Party, especially, but um, the entire brand of Republicanism. And it seems to be, uh, and it's hard to argue against this, and I would love to see a Republican come on and argue with me about this. The brand of Republicanism, the brand of Trumpism, the brand of the GOP now is cruelty. Other 
sheer cruelty. And they want to talk. These are the first people who want to talk about war on Christmas. And as a political stunt on Christmas Eve, which they think is one of the holiest nights of the year, which just shows how little they know about their own friggin' faith. They send refugees, not what they like to call criminals. They're not criminals. They're refugees. They're uh, people who are looking for a better life. They sent them from the border on Christmas Eve, on the coldest night of the year, to Washington, D.C., where they were below freezing temperatures, well below freezing temperatures. Some of them didn't have coats, wrapped in blankets, to drop them off in front of Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris's uh, house as a political stunt, not caring at all about the people freezing to death or close to freezing to death. Um, and, and it's just like, you know what, these are the people who shout war on Christmas, war on Christmas. Well, I hate to break it to you. Christ would not be sending people to freezing temperatures without coats, without any shelter, Christmas Eve or not, but the political stunt of it. And how did that work out for you, Republicans? How did that work out in the last three elections? The, the brand of cruelty, how is that working out for you? Man's inhumanity to man on display, and it's 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 almost like snickering about it. Like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. I understand some people are very passionate about the issue of immigration and immigration reform. Cruelty to human beings is not the way to make that point. And, uh, you know, again, for the people who shout war on Christmas, war on Christmas, and believe that Christmas Eve and Christmas is the holiest day in uh, the Christian calendar just shows how fucking stupid you are. I'm sorry. Um, the holiest day in the Christian calendar is Easter. And if there was an anti-Christian movement, the war would be on Easter, not on Christmas, you dumb fucks. Merry Christmas. I hope your Christmas went well. I hope your family... Uh, did not freeze to death like 37 people did from a storm while you were sending women and children and men into um, the cold to risk them freezing to death for a political stunt. Fuck you, Republicans, every last one of you, and especially the Texas Republicans. I think you got to look in the mirror and ask yourself, is this really what Christianity is all about? Is this really what the, the way I want to go? And again, how did it work out for you in the last three elections? The brand of cruelty is not your ticket. And the, the more you go down that path, and, and you know, it's fucking Jim Abbott, Greg Abbott, Jim Abbott, <laughs> uh, Texas governor, sending out Christmas cards with pictures of him and his family, nice and warm in their house. It's not the people who are trying to escape uh, poverty who are coming to this country looking for a better life. They're not 
terrorists. They're not the enemy. They're poor people. Why do you hate poor people so much? Look into your heart, you fucking abyss. I'm sorry. I'm in a bad mood about it. Uh, I briefly mentioned the winter storms. We got spared pretty much here, uh, but not so not so uh, good for a lot of the country. Um, big snowstorms, a lot of people without power, without heat in the coldest um, time of the year. Um, and as I mentioned, 37 people froze to death, at least 37 people. The count is now. That number will probably grow. Uh, and when I think about it, now we I don't know this for a fact, but I'm assuming a large number of those 37 people who froze to death, not a, maybe not a large number, but a, a significant number of them were homeless. And it just goes to point out the disparity of our society. Now, I uh, read some things last night about Trillion, uh, billionaires, trillionaires. I don't think there is a trillionaire yet. Musk was on his way, but he's not anymore. Billionaires have lost almost $2 trillion in 2022. Is that good news? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I mean, as much as we want, we want some wealth spread out at least a little bit so that people aren't freezing to death. Not that I, I don't know you know, for handouts and all that kind of stuff, but people should not be freezing to death on the street. I don't think billionaires losing their fortunes is necessarily going to help anything. And they certainly don't feel it like poor people feel it when they lose, you know, money. So, but in Forbes magazine, there was this um, almost celebratory article about how, Billionaires all lost money. Um, and talk about the big tech guys, especially, you know, um, now Musk and uh, Zuckerberg and uh, even Bezos um, lost a lot of a lot of um, liquid liquidity, I guess, in their uh, wealth numbers. But they don't feel that they don't feel like that, like the people on the street do. And so, um, you know. I don't think there's anything to celebrate. And what happens? What happens to that wealth? This is the question I, I have. Does that wealth just disappear? Does humanity lose anything? Do, does society lose anything? Or is it just those big fat cats that don't know? Again, I, I'm, I'm sorry to keep beating this drum, but nobody, nobody needs a billion dollars. Never mind $240 billion or whatever must claim to be worth. Before, um, before the Tesla stock started to uh, just bottom out, and I, I think it still is going down. But nobody needs that much money. Nobody does. And so, again, coming back to this idea of the holiday that we supposedly all just celebrated together and Christianity and following the teachings of Christ. You know, the love of money is the root of all evil. If you just can't get enough money. And for people like Musk, there is no doubt in my mind that everything 
is about money. His political switcheroo or whatever you want to call it, it, what he's doing now, the stunts he's pulling for politics is all about money. And I'll tell you why I, I know that deep in my soul because I've talked to people who were in the Obama administration when he was trying to grift off the government. He was an Obama supporter. He was a, he was heavily on the left when it came to asking for money from the left and thinking he was going to get it. The minute Lori Garver, at, who was the deputy administrator of NASA, stood up to say, wait a minute, there needs to be some accountability on Musk for all the money he's asking for, and started to cut off his free money from the government that he decided he wanted to turn uh, his political things around. So everything he does is about the money. Don't be fooled by any of his um, so-called ideological shifts or any of that stuff. He doesn't have it. It's all about getting more rich, getting more money, more wealth. And again, who needs that much money? My guest today needs that much money. He's here now. Um, I, I actually hope Jake gets $240 billion, just falls in his lap, and he doesn't know what to do with it all. We make a lot of cool movies. Anyway, uh, my guest today is Jake Danger Jolly, who is the uh, producer of Clay Zombies. And uh haven't talked to him in a while. And he volunteered to be with me on a day after Christmas when most people are still sleeping or uh, trying to avoid the world or cleaning up the mess from yesterday. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the program, Jake Danger Jolly. Jake, good morning. Hey, good morning, Matt. Thanks, thanks for uh, having me back on the show. Uh, really looking forward yeah, to it. Anytime, my friend. How how are you? Good. Uh, you know, it's funny you were talking about cleaning up the the mess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, at my family's uh, Christmas yesterday, and uh, I was always thinking. There's always jokes about how like the dad is uh, stuck with uh, cleaning up Christmas paper and stuff like that. So, um, you know, my dad's a grandpa now and all that. And, uh, I just, I was like, Hey, you got a Kroger bag? And I was like, I'll, I'll be on, you know, um, package duty for you. And it was like, it was just such a little thing, but it was like, I could tell it was like, he's like, wow. You know, <laughs> you have kids. No, I don't. I'm, I'm just an uncle. Um, maybe someday though, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, your, your dog is your kid. <laughs> yeah. 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 This, this shirt is making me feel extra fat all of a sudden. I got to suck it in. <laughs> Put my shoulders up and kind of. Anyway, uh, was it a uh, a peaceful holiday for you? I mean, uh, you're in Ohio. I know Ohio got hit with pretty severe weather. No. Yeah, it did, and that's kind of. I saw a lot of people kind of debating about Christmas and and all that kind of thing, and um, I saw a lot of people straight up just saying like, I don't even want to support this holiday anymore because of you know, the religious aspects and different things like that. But I was kind of thinking myself with all that weather going on, I was like, you know, even if uh, you can't really necessarily support whatever holiday because of your religion or whatever, it, it was a really good time for me to be thankful because, yeah, I mean, I was lucky I didn't have to go to work yeah. uh, the last few days. And there was a lot of people stuck our pipes busting and uh 
yeah, it was it was crazy here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even beyond that, I started my program this morning, uh, ranting about um, a political stunt that the governor of Texas uh, pulled by, by sending uh, refugees to uh, Kamala Harris's house in in D.C., where it was below free, well below freezing. They didn't have coats. A lot of them, you know, they just they came from Mexico or Guatemala or whatever. These people are not used to. <laughs> That kind of weather. And on Christmas Eve, just sending them there as a political stunt. You talk about rough. I mean, having no shoes and being just wrapped in a blanket when it's uh, 14 degrees out and wind chills and stuff like that. It's just brutal. And people's inhumanity to uh, to humanity is just really, it's really startling, especially this time of year. It, and it, it hurts me. It, it hurts me. So, I'm, uh, you know, as much as I want to, I uh, wish my friends and, and uh, family all the best this time of year. I am really um, not in a happy mood about people. In yeah, that yeah, it's that's kind of what I was thinking. You know, I'm I'm a, I see a lot of things in a movie way or whatever. But it was like when I read that, I was like, these people aren't props. You know, it's yeah. like they're trying to do something, but it's like they're they're humans, and I think a lot of times people will just like, they just see the word migrants and they just think of like, I, I don't know, but you got to have a little empathy and think like, that's a group of people that, you know, on what Christmas Eve, yeah. <laughs> we're out on these terrible temperatures. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you mentioned the movie, the movie clay zombies. Uh, what's going on with that? Have you got further distribution on that or what's um, going on? Yeah. You know, I, um, I did get distribution with it. I went with a, a company called uh, Film Hub, and um, they kind of just keep going with it. You know, it uh, it's on. I think Tubi is kind of the uh, the micro budget, lower budget, like you know. Yeah, I have spot. Tubi. Uh, I, I don't have television, but I have Tubi for for some because I had Roku when we were testing out our stuff, and it's part of the Roku app. Uh, to be um do you know james balsamo have you heard the name before i think i have um just kind of drawn a blank on what uh, he's a what... director but he's also he he distributes his movies not online this is um uh, he, he i think he has like 40 or 50 movies, like very prolific and successful to the point where uh he can finance other people's movies wow and he only distributes through Walmart on DVD, oh. which I thought is like, who the hell even buys DVDs anymore? But that's how he doesn't, he doesn't have any streaming services. You can't buy it on his website. The only way you can buy any of his movies is through Walmart. And he does extremely well with it. And I thought, well, that's a, an unusual model, but uh, if it works, <laughs> you know, why fight it? Uh, have you thought about uh, do you, are you are yours in available in stores and does your distribution company uh, work that way? No, that'd be awesome. Uh, mine is online only, um, but that sounds awesome. There, there are little uh, other distribution companies I've heard of. Like one that's pretty neat is called uh, Scream Team Releasing, and they will release your movie on Blu-ray and VHS and <laughs> all kinds of fun stuff. But I don't know how successful their model is. Um, but that Walmart guy sounds like a, a really good marketer. I've heard of another filmmaker who 
um, he's able to make all his money back through theatrical showings. And then I don't know what he does after that, but I guess he's so good at marketing them and getting butts and seats that he gets his whole budget back just from the first theater showing. So yeah, I'd, I'd definitely like to look into what he's doing with that Walmart deal. That's really cool. Well, I could hook you up with him because he's always open to talking to people and uh, he does. Cause he even said to me, if you know, people want to make films, uh, I will help them get them financed and dist- distributed and all that kind of stuff. He's, he's his genre is horror and it's campy, like really B movie horror. He's a titties and beer guy. He he has to, you know, titties and beer in every single horror movie. That's his thing. Uh, <laughs> but <clears throat> he does very well. And, uh, uh, you know, I know a lot of people who worked with him. He's a little bit eccentric and a little crazy, but he's doing well for an independent filmmaker. And you know how hard it is. Um, oh, yeah. Do you have any plans now? Uh, how was the experience? Because I know you put in a couple of years making the film, and then when you finally got it out, it was like a, you know, a graduation moment. It's like, yes, I I've, I have accomplished this, and I'm very proud of you for doing that because most people don't. But two years now, I get, or a year and a half since it's actually come out, um, uh, has the process and that experience made you want to make more movies, or you just want to get your money back from this one and... <laughs> And uh, kind of just go fishing or something. <laughs> yeah, that's what was funny is when I got done with the other movie or the first Clay Zombies or whatever, everybody's so excited and like sequel, sequel, sequel and all that stuff. And I remember when I was uh, driving Diane Franklin back to the theater after the premiere, she was like, I was saying something to her. I was like, you know, if we did a sequel, would you? And she's like, Jake, don't even think about a sequel till at least past January, you need to, you know, uh, enjoy the moment of being done with the movie, blah, blah, blah. And I'm glad she said that because it's, it took me the rest of the year and pretty much, you know, till now to figure out how to get it on Blu-ray. I had to find someone who knew how to author Blu-ray and everything. Cause I was just going to self-distribute before I went with the distributor, but I realized I just didn't really have, the money, really. I mean, well, I don't know. There, there are people who would argue against that and say you can have a free social media campaign that's very effective, but then there's also time. And it's like when I've got my day job, I can't spend all day on social Anyway, right, long story yeah. short. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but- I learned a lot about uh, social media and uh, distribution. And there was a point where I pretty much didn't uh, – once well i did and i didn't because it kind of got weird i was the biggest part of all this was you don't expect um like the hate either it's like you think you'll be one of the people who's like slips by but if you're a filmmaker and you make a movie you're gonna get some punches in the face as well deserved or not um it just it just happens especially to low budget movies (laughs) i think i told you that jake uh the first time i met you i think i told you about the about the jealousy and the envy and the dark side of people that your friend people you who should be your friend people who do what you do and should be celebrating your successes are going to be nasty and petty and just uh it's it's human nature it's part of every art form and I don't think you can escape that, but you can't let it keep you up at night. You can't even really give it a second thought, man. You got to keep doing what what your 
keep following your path and know that what you're doing, I loved your movie. And I told you that. And I wasn't being in any way just you know trying to serve you or any of that stuff. I love the aspect that, to me, that movie is the classic boy and his dog film and and the zombies are just the obstacles he needs to you know to overcome to get his dog back <laughs> yeah, yeah. And i love that movie my, yeah, i think my friend michael zinn who is usually the most positive person on the planet uh he's making a comment about james uh balsamo saying successful at putting out a lot of content for sure quality not so sure and he, let me just comment on that because when i say he's successful i mean in terms of doing what he wants to do not having to answer to anybody else and to create art that he likes and sustain himself financially and all that kind of stuff that is a success and now i would agree with mike when he says not so sure about the quad because it's not my kind of thing and i think it is intentionally b-movie style you know low low quality i think he he does that on purpose but um but so i I, when i say successful i think anybody who can follow their dream and not have to answer to anybody and not have to suck somebody's you know dick to get a film made if they want to do it that's a success to me and so you know i 100 percent agree if i think if you make your budget back and you're making the kind of movie you want to make. Uh, I, I mean, that's like, I mean, it's, it's, I'm sure, well, I don't want to speak for you, but I think, you know, I used to be a musician too in a band and the biggest reward was like a lot of times when we, when we would write the new song and we would be playing it for the first time when everybody was gelling and you'd get that little, um, I'd get goosebumps and feel that little high where it's like, Oh my gosh, this new song's coming together. That was more important than, any of the money we made or anything. And I'd feel the same thing about the movie when I'm editing a scene and oh, I could do it forever. Even if it was just very small budgets, I feel like I could make movies that with 20,000 bucks better than a lot of these other ones with a hundred million. I'm not even sure what they're spending their money on. Uh, well, I do know in the union, I think they have things where people just have to push, like they have a button pusher for something. And yeah. I didn't think it was true. And I looked it up and I was like, Oh my gosh, you really do have someone on standby push button. But, uh, no, uh, crap, what were we talking about, man? <laughs> well, we're talking about just the, uh, uh, how we measure success in, oh, yeah, yeah. in being able to, just to create your art without having to, you know, be owned by somebody else. Now, I have a friend, I got to tell you, he, he's been working on a, what he calls a pilot for, a series, but it's basically a, an hour script, an hour-long movie. Uh, he's been working on it for seven years. He hasn't got one second of edited, uh, you know, no, nothing. He's got lots of things he shoots and then reshoots because he's not happy with the way it's going and all this stuff. And I had mentioned to him several times that you shouldn't be directing this because you're this isn't this is your first project and you're starring in it. You wrote it. You shouldn't be directing it. You should be looking to get somebody to fund it and direct it for you. But he wants complete control, and it's not going anywhere. And it's clear that it's never going to be made. But this, uh, I don't know, uh, control, uh, you know, giving up the control or wanting to, you know, compromise in any way 
is going to keep him from making his art. So in your case, that wasn't true. You had done a television show, which I love that television show. I wish you would do it again. Um, but so you knew how the workings of it and you knew enough to, to be able to direct your thing. But some people just don't want to give up any control at all or compromise in any way. And then their stuff never gets made. And that sucks. I mean, that's really depressing to me to see people who have a passion, really wanted to get it done and just can't get it made because they're just too proud. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's, I, I get it though. It's uh, for me, it was like an eye opening thing one day where I was thinking like, Oh, you know, I have to be in total control of all this. But then, you know, people on set would make a joke that was funnier. And like, once I let go of that little bit of ego I had, cause I didn't have a big one. It was like, wow, like if I really let everybody do their thing, it's going to be better. And, uh, you know, even, having my wife come in and, you know, criticize a scene or whatever. It was like, you know what? I would edit it the way she said. And I'd be like, you know what? It's better. And I think it, you feel a lot freer when you're like, it's not all on me anymore. Like I can take creative input, make this better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I totally agree with that. I, I, you know what? I think I got locked into making music that way as you know, but I didn't want, I was always welcoming collaboration. It's just not, no, nobody wants to step up or, or be a collaborator in a lot of ways, especially where I am. But uh, you get locked into this idea of, I got to do it all myself. And it can be very freeing when you have somebody else bringing ideas to the table and all that kind of stuff. It makes you feel like, well, they must care at least care about the project and be interested enough to want to offer constructive criticism and all that stuff. The problem is when some people just want to be destructive criticism, like, Oh, that's no good. But what, okay. What's, what's the solution? Everybody can, can identify a problem, but it takes, uh, it takes a special kind of team player to identify solutions and not, I think the culture doesn't encourage that. Yeah. Um, let, let me ask you because about budgeting stuff. Where, like, where did most of your money go on when you were? What did you need most of the money for? Was it uh, renting location? What you didn't weren't buying equipment and stuff. You have your own equipment, or were you renting equipment? What? Where did the budget go? What? Did, where did your money get spent? Um. So the number one thing that, uh, well, at least in my experience, that you're gonna need money for because you're not gonna find a friend who can do it is sound so like to get a, a sound mixer you'll be actually you'd be really lucky to get a person who can like has the sound mix like uh, you can't see my hands so i'm doing that for no reason but they've got like the fanny pack thing on the mixer fanny pack and a um and the boom mic so they're doing both at the same time those people usually don't go around doing it for free and oh i'd be God. scared for someone who's like hey you know i'm looking to up my portfolio with my sound experience. Could I start with your movie? <laughs> I probably wouldn't do that. You just hit me right in the heart, brother. Uh, on Thursday of last week, Wednesday of last week, I was working on a shoot in a restaurant for a new project, which is going to be kind of a television show, food, you know, restaurant review type of um, light show for for food and stuff food, food reviews food blog and um we were working on the shoot and besides the camera angles that weren't weren't correct well they have lavaliers on the on the uh participants and they're going to different cameras and so nobody can actually monitor the 
complete audio feed. One guy's getting one, you know, one voice, and the other, another camera's getting another voice. It's like, there's no professional audio guy here. And I was like, you, you got to understand, you can't skimp on audio. Audio production requires one audio engineer to make sure everything is pristine, getting the mix, but also getting a redundant mix in case anything goes wrong and all that stuff. It's an isolated job. You can't just take that as secondary or not as important as the video stuff. And I've been making this case for weeks now, and it's one of my real frustrations with the project. I think most film, independent filmmakers starting out don't take that into account how important audio is it, it is it will make a break bad audio will turn people off as quick as bad video they actually they'll forgive bad video or poor they'll, they'll f- forgive an out of focus shot quicker than they will a shot that is clipping or it's, the audio is just bad you know fuzzy or distorted or any of that kind of stuff so yeah that, you, that, that was like one of the first advice one of my director mentors said was basically what you said word for word you know they'll forgive a blurry shot here or there but if they can't listen to it they're out <laughs> yeah 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 so but now coming back to the question i asked you which you didn't really answer <laughs> does it feed you to want to because bob ross used to say bob ross the painter guy he, he's one of my greatest inspirations in life and people uh think that's i'm being trivial about that but i'm serious he used to say uh, if you create your first painting and sell it and even if it doesn't even make the money for the materials that you paid you sell it that inspires you to do more art and and, and create more and and become a you know a full-time painter and I, I think that's true with everything which is why i tell people don't give your art away you know we produce music produce films whatever don't give it away sell it even if even if it doesn't make your money back you know that people care enough about your product to lay down hard-earned money that does something for you but did that inspire you the whole process now to do more films or are you still concentrating on uh clay zombies and haven't moved on from that yet but or do you have plans for more films um yeah it did inspire me and what's funny is the movie has created a little family like i you know i'm not really you know i know a lot of hollywood people be like oh i love the cast i love everybody but i do i i love everybody i i worked on clay zombies with and you know we're always all looking for an excuse to spend some time together uh, <laughs> it was funny because um, my friend Gabe, who played the villain in the in the last one, he uh, he had to go overseas. He's in the National Guard, so he's actually uh, I believe he is in Iraq right now. We're very close, and um, you know uh, when we found out he was going, uh, it was it was just crazy. And we had all been talking about doing another Clay Zombies two and everything like that. And I was thinking like that would be sweet if when he came back. Uh, we could do another one. And uh, so he came back at the beginning of November. They let him come back for a few days. And uh, we filmed a, we haven't released it yet, but we did film a little Kickstarter video with him in it just because we know he won't be back from his deployment for however long, um, no past the summer probably. And uh, just us all getting back together for the first time for like over a year since the premiere, it was just like, I didn't even really want to film it anymore. I just kind of wanted to put the camera away and, and spend time with everybody talking. But yeah, I've, I've started writing it and we're, we're hoping to film 
a sequel uh, in October. Maybe do a little Kickstarter this time. Uh, and uh, I wrote a Christmas special. I'm actually really happy with the Christmas special. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty short, but I felt like it was really nice. And we're going to film that hopefully next month. Filming um, a Christmas special for next year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. No, you know, I was thinking about Christmas songs. I've never written a Christmas song in my life. And that, that's odd because you would, you know, anybody who knows me would have thought I would have. I mean, just it just seems like everybody, every songwriter has got one. Not me. I just never was inspired to write anything. And maybe it's because it's too happy a subject matter for me. I'm, I'm generally a little darker than that. Um, you know, I when I was thinking about you, like three or four weeks ago, I had an idea for a movie, and I thought, "Wow, this would be great." You know what? I because I have some resources at my uh, at my disposal right now. I should talk to Jake about this idea, and I have no idea what the hell the idea was. <laughs> Just like I th- at the time, it was going to be a great movie. I had uh, an idea. And I was so inspired about it. I spent like two days thinking about it, and I wanted to get in touch with you and talk about it. And now when I got you here, it's like I, I can't I have no memory of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if, if I've got to the point now where I'm scared, if I don't go to my phone and do a, hey, Siri, remind me of this, I'm going to forget it. I mean, it's it's getting bad. I was like, uh, I even told that to my wife the other day. I was like, just do a, hey, Siri, reminder. That's all I can do okay, now. Oh, she just added a reminder. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> Siri, remind me. Uh, oh, no. Siri, Siri doesn't like me. Um, I saw a tweet uh, on on Twitter. Where else would you see a tweet? Um, that's uh, somebody I don't know, but it just struck me. He said, "Is Ohio really all that bad?" And I'm like, well, "What's bad about Ohio?" It, it, and I don't. I didn't. I didn't respond to that. I'm not saying anything on tw- uh, Twitter. I'm trying not to uh, interact with anybody over there. But that that idea just struck me. What's bad about Ohio? Is is, is Ohio okay? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I haven't like lived, lived anywhere else, but, um, I, most people would like it. You know, I've, um, uh, I was in, uh, Rhode Island for a little bit, not living there, but in, in Boston. And if you hate the traffic up there, you will sure love Ohio because. <laughs> well, I hate the traffic. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'm not, I, I live in the part of Long Island that probably has the least traffic, but even there, it's, it's way too much for me. I don't like to, I don't like to be on the road at all. I just have no patience for it anymore. Never really did, but I don't, I don't like it, but no, it just confused me. Cause I thought, you know, Ohio is, you know, mid, Midwesty type of, uh, you know, I, I know it's just, you're in the Eastern time zone, but it's still Midwesty feel to it. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I, you know, I, I, I just didn't know what, what to make of that. Is Ohio really all that bad? And I was like, like what's bad about it? I don't know anything. I mean, I know a part of Cleveland or where, where I had a really bad meth problem for a while. I don't know if they still do. But I mean, I don't. Ohio's not known as a bad place. I mean, I could see Detroit. People, yeah, is Detroit really all that bad? I would probably say, without even going there, yeah, it's all that bad. Ohio is kind of white bread. Like, what's bad? Yeah, about white bread. Yeah, it, it's white bread. It's it's kind of like 
you know, if you come here and you want like a lot of culture, I mean, we have some plays. We don't have a a Broadway, you know. We we might we have a couple art galleries, but we don't have like a lot of art galleries. We have some concerts, but we don't have, you know, we're not Nashville where there's a concert hall everywhere you want to go and right. I don't, I don't know too much about New York is New York like that where you got a lot of concerts you can go to all the time too. In the, around the city area, yeah. I mean, culturally, New York City, you don't get any any more active than, than New York City. Is. Yeah. You know, it rivals L- L.A. or whatever. But uh, out here where I am, no. I mean, <laughs> it's, I'm not... Uh, it's it's very different. It, it's not that far. I'm only like 75 miles from New York City, but it is a very different world where I live. I mean, we I have lots of farms, lots of corn growing. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, you have Cleveland and then you have Columbus and then you have Cincinnati. And some people would argue Dayton's pretty big too. But, you know, in between those is a lot of, uh, a lot of corn and very small towns. And I think that's kind of why, where we end up the butt of the joke. Cause you know, they're just thinking of our smaller towns and lots of fields. So like, who, what's a plain state we can kind of get a dig in here for our comedy show. Yeah. Ohio. <laughs> Ohio. Yeah, when I when I was um a young man and very active in the music business, Ohio was uh country music. It was very big on country music. A lot of uh country music stars were uh from Ohio going down to Nashville. Is it still very country music uh oriented out there or is is it pretty much like the rest of America uh listening to Taylor Swift and Kanye West or whatever the most popular crap on the radio is. You know, there are, yeah. In a lot of the smaller town, it is still a lot of country. And what was kind of cool, um, the other day, my uh, my buddy asked me to record a, not a music video, but like an acoustic session. And he, um, a lot of my favorite bands of all time is like the Wallflowers. And I really like uh, the singer Jacob Dylan a lot. And him and his buddies like have really similar sound to that, where it's like a um, Jacob Dylan almost acoustic, and then when they're playing with their electric and drums and stuff, it almost sounds like the Wallflowers. So I was like, this is really cool. Like I had no idea young people, because he's a little bit younger than me, so playing music like this. And uh, but yeah, I, I hear a lot of country music here, but then you do hear a lot of rap. Um, you know, it's kind of mixed, but yeah, a lot of the towns around here are still in the country. Yeah, and I think I had mentioned this uh, to you when, when we first met, is I, there was a period where I was getting people from Ohio, from the state of Ohio, not, and Ohio's kind of weird because you have Cleveland, which is really kind of like northern and urban, and then you have like Cincinnati, which is really like Kentucky's yeah <laughs> and, and so but and dayton and it, all of it it's kind of like there's so many different subcultures in ohio but at at the time when i first met you i was getting filmmakers uh musicians fashion people uh hairstylists all these artistic people uh coming from ohio and i i think i asked you and i asked a lot of people from ohio like what's going on in ohio it seems to be like a cultural thing going on i don't know i didn't even know how to describe it but it seemed like there were there was something in the air in the whole state but i realize it, it's a very big state a very kind of sub divided in different cultures and all that kind of stuff there's no connectivity to it right yeah 
Um, I mean, a lot of our film communities, like on the Facebook groups, it's funny because like uh, a lot of the actors around here that are real go-getters, I'll sit down to watch another movie I know was made in Ohio just to be supportive. And like one of my actor friends I had no idea would be in it is in it. And it's like, it's fun. It's always fun, especially if like my wife's doing something else and I'm like, hey, look, it's Ramona again or, or whoever. And, uh, but yeah, you know, but no, I think one of the only good things about social media, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. There are lots of good things, but sometimes like you were talking about earlier, the negativity is like, just makes me want to throw my phone out the window. But um, I think one of the good things about social media is like, even in places like here, Ohio, you know, people are like, wow, if I work hard, I might not actually have to move to New York or LA to make my fashion or acting or I would, making. I would say you probably, I would never encourage anybody to move to New York or LA. I think that's the old, uh, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, yes. Uh, there was a time when people urged me to move to Nashville and I went there for two weeks and I said, this ain't happening there was other times when people asked uh, urged me to move to austin that was the big scene i would never urge anybody to move anywhere make your art where you are where you feel comfortable doing it and find a way to make it a success where you where you live and where you are happy uh that, that would be my advice now what do i know <laughs> but that you know moving and adapting to another culture takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of uh, a lot of your time and, and your your life force to get used to a new place. You can't be your most creative when you're trying to fit into uh, a new environment that you don't understand. It's not really good for you. So I'll, my advice is to, if you're really an artist, stay where you are, create your art distribute it to where wherever the money is <laughs> yeah. But, yeah yeah unless you can uh be like jim croce and uh make that one awesome song he did talking about how lonely he was in new york yeah. <laughs> that was an awesome new song. york's not my home i sing that a lot and no uh you know what i, I played that in restaurants a lot of times when when it's you know it, we're background music and people are talking and people always come up. i love that song you never hear that song anymore new york's not my home it's a really really uh you know croce had a lot of um songs that really were inspirational to people or or heartfelt um but not necessarily stuff that you hear anywhere anymore you know nobody plays that stuff his wife is a bitch i i wanted to make a documentary about not a document i wanted to make a movie about him a kind of um sort of documentary kind of biopic kind of thing i had a kid who looked exactly like him he still looks exactly like him uh and he had not been an actor he had had a little experience in singing and, and and playing guitar and I just thought he's just too much of a spitting image for Jim Croce. I want to write a biopic, a movie about him. And I asked Jim Croce's wife for just a, an interview so I could get some information about, you know, firsthand information. And she was like completely rude and said, if I go ahead with making a movie, she was going to sue me. I was like, I, I'm not stealing anything. You can't, you can't, he's a public figure you can't copyright his existence uh, people are allowed to make biopics about or write a biography about him i'm just asking for the real truth so i don't just get stuff from a library or stuff that i 
and she was just like really mean and uh dismissive and just nasty to me i was like wow there's no reason to be like she said we're gonna make our own movie this was 10 years ago no jim croce movie has come out right yeah yeah that's that that's really disappointing and it's it's true it's like why why would his music is like so i mean it's just beyond timeless why would you not want to let new generations hear his music and like help him have relevance again Right. Well, his son was out doing, uh, his son is a recording artist and had for 30 years refused to play any of his father's songs. And then just last year started performing some of them and was getting great rave reviews about it. And so maybe there'll be something. Um, Mike, Mike Zinn wants to know about danger. Where did that come from? (laughs) Uh, I don't think I'm allowed to say. Sure. Yeah. You're allowed to say. (laughs) <laughs> don't worry nobody listens to the mike's in is the only person listening right now um I, I i will bust your balls a little bit about this since we're on it when we were, did the potathon and you came on and uh carlos valencia was he was on you like but you have to understand this is how comedians show love but he was all over the danger thing and he just want he didn't even call you jake ever one i want to talk to danger and he kept calling you danger and like putting you on the spot and you, you bailed on us and carlos didn't even he was oblivious to it i was like you know i think i think you kind of chased my friend jake away uh-huh. and then i t- i talked to you about it and you said the comedians were a little bit overwhelming and i talked to him and he had no idea because that's how comedians hang. I mean, uh, he was showing you love because they did love your film. We showed a clip of it and they were all like excited about it. And uh, But he was busting your balls hard on the danger thing. <laughs> no, no, that was I was just saying like it was hard to I was trying to keep it funny with them. And like I just, uh, you know, I'm not that quick on my feet. What had really happened was when I was signing up for the slots of the potathon, I thought they were like. 15 or half an hour increments. I think I read it It was supposed to be, but that shit never works right. I mean, people come in and go whenever they feel like it and everybody was off schedule, but yeah, you were, you were correct in assuming that was the intent. That's what we wanted to do. So like I told my wife, cause she wanted to do something that night. I was like, well, I, I think I, I'm only signed up for like a, I think I forget there. Was it 15 or half an hour? 15 slides? or a half. I think it was either uh, basically. However long you took. So, yeah. So I told her, I was like, well, I've only got this slot from nine to whatever it was. And so we're talking and everything. And then, you know, I kind of saw her and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. We were supposed to do something after my slot. So I was just like, well, proud of you guys. Got to go. Yeah. I think that was towards the end of the second night, too. And we were all, I mean, my brain cells were shot at at that time. And, uh, and, those guys, those two comedians who were on at the time, uh, Carlos Valencia and Derek Sheen, are really uh, top of the great people. Very, very cool people, and I think you you would really love them if if you were in the same room with them. But I know Carlos was he smelled he smelled blood in the water that night. It was pretty yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's the thing, and that was kind of. I didn't take any of that, but that was kind of something I was talking about the other day is like a lot of comedians who aren't on top of their game like them is like, uh, they think, uh, just being a jerk makes them a comedian or whatever. And I was, I I don't know if you ever got the chance to talk about it or not, but 
I'd be interested to hear your take on that. Or it's like, like I'm not talking about, I'm talking about like comedy central roast type stuff. It's like uh, some of the stuff they say isn't even funny. It's just straight up like Me. terrible. Yeah. So some of the stuff on roast, uh, I think people forget that they're, they're in front of an audience and they're not entertaining the audience. They're doing a lot of inside jokes and stuff like that. And a lot of it is over the top, just mean. They forget how to be funny. And for them, maybe it, it is funny within their, their circle. But I, you know, I'm I've never been a big fan of roast because I shouldn't say never. When I was a kid, my parents used to watch um, the Friars Club, which was roast of all time comedians, Jack Benny, and uh, <laughs> all the people like George Burns, Red Buttons. I mean, all the even beyond way before my time, and those were kind of funny. But it was all it was geared towards general public funny and it wasn't over the top mean i think what happened was it evolved uh dean martin took on he changed his show he had a variety show and did one roast and it went really well and then he just became the dean martin roast every thursday night which replaced his variety show and then from that comedy central started doing roast and then everybody you know roasting is the big thing and like anything it kind of has to keep pushing boundaries and get worse and like for a part there that Lisa Lampanelli kind of stuff on Comedy Central where it was just all like, you know, uh, as vulgar as you can be, humor. It started to lose my attention big time. It's like, you know what, this isn't even really funny. It's just like, be as gross as you can be. As, it's like the aristocrats joke uh, on steroids. It's really just be as, as disgusting and over the top rude and mean and just, you know, unclassy as possible. I don't, I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, one of the guys in the audience here is a roast master here. Uh, William Conway does a lot of roast stuff. I'd love to get his uh, take on this. If, William, if you're there, whether in the chat room or you just want to pop in for a second and give us uh, your take on this, because he, he does, I forget what he he did that it was a roast on his birthday or something. I forget now. There was a story about a roast that he did. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I, you know, there are a lot of roasts that just not that funny to me yeah um, it, it's weird i don't know any you know way more about it than i do the comedy scene and everything but there's just some stuff I, i'm seeing lately where it's like in really bad taste like maybe someone's died or it's some stretch some tragedy and someone puts up a a, a witty facebook post or tweet and i'm just like must be nice to just be like oh, i'm a comedian but uh you know there, but whatever. Art is subjective. Maybe some people really like that stuff. <laughs> I, I'm sure there are. There's an audience for everything and anything under the sun. I, yeah. I, uh, let me see here. I just want to let people know about ClayZombies.com. I'm going to put it in the banner. I can't believe I forgot to do this this morning, but it's after Christmas, and uh, I'm a little bit. So, um, where, where is it? Show. Right there it is. Clayzombies.com. There it is. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so uh, what what's going on with you this week? Are you, are you got any plans for New Year's or anything? Any big uh, – what do you do? Um, no. I, I have to head back to the uh, uh, the old day job tomorrow. And um, I'll probably be – I'm going to – I buy these little uh, – 
the storyboard books. I'll probably be starting to fill one of those out for the Christmas special for a couple weeks and writing down my prop list and all that stuff. I uh, don't really have any any New Year's plans. <laughs> Just going to keep it kind of chill, you know. <laughs> William says he got roasted on his birthday weekend in 2021. He was roasted by seven comics and an ex-wife. That's not fun. I think I might have seen a clip from that. I don't know. My my memory is so bad, but I think I saw a clip from that somewhere. No, or maybe it was something else. I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. think I'm I'm remembering a clip with this, a um wrestler I think or something I don't know I um maybe it's too early for me maybe I got to go back to bed uh, <laughs> yeah no I have on New Year's Eve uh I have a gig that is just weird for me it's uh 5:30 to 8 p.m. gig in a restaurant now no I'm thinking what's the point uh, on New Year's Eve it's about I wanted to talk about this today. It's about that up to midnight where the year changes and everybody celebrates the ball dropping or whatever that frig the countdown is all about. But 5.30 to 8, uh, 8 o'clock in a restaurant, like nobody going out for dinner on New Year's Eve and nobody's going to be in the restaurant. We're playing acoustically. So it's like, what's the point of this? I might as well stay home. And that's probably the worst hour to be on the road because people are rushing around you know that's where where the accidents happen is that before the party thing. so I'm it's, not I'm it not. sounds nice though it's like um if if there are is an actual audience that that like you know any even if there's only a couple people it does sound kind of neat playing acoustic at at a restaurant you know yeah well and there's a uh here's the thing so we played at eight o'clock and then uh straight up Susie comes on now straight up Susie is a girl who the restaurant owner wants to she's not a girl she's like 50 but the restaurant <laughs> owner wants to bang her it's the only reason she's got a gig because she doesn't sing well and she sings she doesn't have she doesn't even play an instrument she comes with her phone and doesn't even have backing tracks on her phone. She plays the songs, the actual song. So she'll play like a journey song and sing along with it badly. She, she's coming on after us. And then there's a full band called 1984 on after her that plays up until the, the year two. But uh, so it's kind of weird for me to be opening up for straight up Susie, who's just like a, a talentless hack. Yeah, there I said it. You you heard it here, folks. If you want to <laughs> attack me for straight up Susie, a talentless hat. But here's the thing: I, I was thinking about last night, and I don't know why I'm on this. But the year change, like it's all made up anyway. We get all excited about a ball dropping, and now we can call it 2023. It's really the same life that goes on. Nothing really changes. Not going to be anything different. January, for most people, like some people will have tragedies, some people will have great successes, or, you know, something will happen, major events in their life. But for 99% of the world, December 31st, 2022, and January 1st, 2023, are the same timeline, it's the same exact experience, it's the same life just continuing on. Why do we get so excited about year changes? Like, it, and, you know, the, yeah. Can you relate? <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel the same way. It's like uh, if I didn't have something cool going on, like a concert, it is almost like why, why, why am I staying up? I'm throwing off my schedule. I might as well just go to bed. Uh, 
but I think people are, we're, we're in the future because, you know, there are people who would used to argue about daylight savings time. Oh, it's great. We should keep it. And yeah. now they're finally getting rid of it. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to love uh, New Year's Eve when I wasn't gigging. I would, and I stopped gigging on New Year's Eve for a long time because it was, you know, everybody looked forward to that. It was a big payday night, but for me, it was always uh, more trouble than it was worth. And I looked, used to love to stay up and watch the Twilight Zone marathons on New Year, New Year's Eve. That was the big uh, excitement for me. <laughs> William says, uh, so she's singing t- over the top of a real song. Yes, that's what I mean. How far we fall. Is, is her act like singing? Like she's a musician? Or is it is that a comedy bit? No, it's uh, she's a musician. And, and uh, she takes it very seriously. And uh, nobody in the crowd does. Uh, but <laughs> Fred, Fred, the uh, uh, restaurant owner, wants to bang her. That's it. And he's, he's a drunk. And he, he's an old man who I think he just got divorced and um, he, he's very short sighted. I mean, this is what it, this is what life has become for him. Yeah. You I'm know, not, that, I'm not happy with Fred. <laughs> that's that's like, uh, you know, someone should tell her. I don't know. It shouldn't have to be you, but someone should say, "Hey, you know, you're doing a detriment to yourself." You know, they're they're comparing you to the other vocalist on the track when you do it. Maybe you could buy a few karaoke songs and put them on your phone. No, no, that would be terrible. Because oh. be, I, I tell you why it would be terrible. Because she plays the songs. A lot of times she stops singing because she doesn't know the words, <laughs> but she sings off key. So. And she's terrible. She's talentless. So if you, if you just karaoke, it it would be so bad that people would run out. At least with the the actual song playing in the background, people can hear the the real song. And if she stops singing, they're kind of like happy. <laughs> and she's just sitting in a chair holding her phone. <laughs> she's terrible. I'm sorry, Susie. I know now. I'm gonna have. To, she's gonna see me. I see. I, she's not gonna see this, but somebody might tell her. Boy, you should hear the do- what the dog said about you on on the morning show. And it's not the first time I've said this about her. Um, uh, yeah, she's I, terrible. Well, the thing is, uh, me and my partner have played there, played that restaurant eleven years in a row on New Year's Eve, and packed the place out. And people love us. People have come to see us. It's an event, and we were the the ones playing up until midnight. And then last year we played the midnight show, but there, he had an opening act for us, who I actually ended up being friends with, even though I was a dick to him when he first told me he was going to be opening for us. Like we don't deal with opening acts, and I was very rude to him. And then he showed up, and he was very. He we invited him up to play with us, and he played the whole set with us. Uh, his name is Brother Dave, and he's really good. Um, but then this year, uh, he, the guy just went out of his mind, and now he's it's like three shows at, at once, and nobody's going to come. And it's like you're falling apart mentally, dude, just because you want you're letting your dick make your business decision for you, and it's not making good ones. Yeah. So, yeah, wars have been started with that same urge. It's always, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, no, yeah, your live shows always look like a freaking ball, man. Especially like, um, you know, when I was in a band, we never had we did a lot of like open mics and like uh, smaller 
things never any room for people to like get up and dance and stuff so like a lot of the the shows i've seen clips of from years where there's like all these people dancing and it's outside and stuff i'm like that looks like a blast man <laughs> yeah 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 oh uh, the summertime gigs uh are where we play these beach places where there are literally thousands of people up and dancing uh and, and having a good time everybody in the place is feeling the same positive energy there's no no match for that experience in my life where and that's my greatest joy is and you know maybe the the number of people shouldn't affect um the way i look at it but the energy with as the crowd gets bigger and there's more people dancing more people celebrating along the energy you feel back it gets intensified too so it's it's just an amazing feeling i wish everybody could experience that at least once in their life uh before we go let's talk about that because you had a premiere at the theater right at a theater in uh what was that experience like because that i would think that's similar if especially you sit in the back of a room and the whole audience is loving your film and uh, uh, what tell me about your experience with that yeah that was awesome um there was uh there was a lot of cool parts I, and uh you know i liked both premieres a lot one was cool because it was at like midnight and then the other one was really cool because um you know diane franklin from bill and ted and all that uh flew down for that one and what was funny is we had had like me and her had had like a kind of a playful debate because uh, you know when i had like a rough cut like really rough not even all the special effects were done i sent her a link and uh, there's a scene in the movie where these friends are talking and this guy has grown this ridiculous mustache it's not ridiculous. It's just actually a pretty normal mustache, but the other friends teasing him about it, like, get rid of that thing. Like, what are you doing? And so he's like crying in slow motion, shaving um, the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> and like me and my friends and, you know, my wife, like we all thought it was so funny. Well, when Diane saw it from the rough cut, you know, she gave me a few notes and she's like, I would cut the whole scene with uh, the friends talking and then the guy shaving his mustache. And like I, I took that to heart. Where it's like, you know, she's been in big movies. She's, you know, Hollywood, way lots of experience. Yeah, I so, see her on Twitter a lot lately. I don't know why, but all of a sudden she's in my feed like every day. It's got something to say. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So um, I took it to heart. So like, what I did was, I didn't end up cutting the scene down um, a lot, like to just give it more like energy and more dynamic and everything because I did have it kind of more relaxed because um, you know you make all these weird decisions when you're editing a movie but like mine was like I was trying to let people see their friendship or whatever and kind of but then I, I did realize like and that's people get too precious with their footage and then when I went back after with fresh eyes after saying that I was like I really can move this along we don't have to spend that much time with these guys so anyway um I left the shaving and the mustache part in, but I had edited everything down quite a bit and everyone was laughing at everything and, uh, in the theater. And she just kind of leaned over with a smile and she's like, that's great, Jake. You know, you were right. Like, there you go. Wow. And, um, uh, so that was cool. And like you said, it was rewarding to get to, to see the laughs and stuff. Yeah. Um, it was, it was great. And that's the thing, you, you know, I don't, I know like so many thousands of people have watched the movie. I have no idea, you know, what most of them think. 
And that's kind of the only reason I brought that up earlier is I really do want to warn anybody else who's going to be doing this is a lot of people who watch your movie and like it will turn it off. That's all they're ever going to do because they're a normal person. Then you're going to have somebody who has to go on IMDb and write a review of every movie and they're a jaded person. That's the only person you're going to hear from a lot of times. So out of thousands of people, you'll get like one guy commenting anyway. But my point is, um, so that's what's cool about watching it with theater. You're not going to know what people online really think because they're not going to comment because they're uh, they're you know too busy to write you a review. Yeah, fuck those people. I'm 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 really you know. There's nothing worse than somebody who is just looking to bring other people down. Well, I shouldn't say there's nothing worse. There's mur- murderers and rapists and those people are worse, <laughs> yeah. but. Um, for, from an artistic, from just a basic decency, somebody who's just looking to tear other people down. And they go in, they're not really giving your film a fair chance from the beginning. They go in, uh, whether they're putting a DVD in or going to uh, online to watch it, they start up with the idea of, let's see what I can rip about this. And then they start looking for things to be negative about. And they take notes and think, uh, this is what I'm going to fucking rip this guy a fucking new asshole because he's doing something. And all I'm doing is thinking about doing something. They're not making any film. Because if they were making films of their own, they wouldn't have time to be writing negative reviews. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what it is because I, and I'm not even talking about my movie. I, I like to support everybody and you know especially in the community like i've went to two premieres in the last month of other people's movies just because like i know how it is and i want to support them and there are some really good indie movies made here i mean yeah look if you don't have you know a hundred thou you're gonna have and even if you do have a hundred thou your movie's gonna have problems and um you know whatever and i get some people have no lens like you know it's kind of like that hilarious joke uh jamie made um when i was on the potathon where he's like you know move out of the way james cameron like <laughs> we want these stop motion zombies and it's like you know he gets it but a lot of people can only see like top tier hollywood movies and then they'll put on an indie movie and compare it like and yeah. I get, and I get it. Like you know, if it's a good story, you can compare and everything. But anyway, I've seen good indie movies here, and then someone will go online and write a sixteen-page, you know, report <laughs> and give it a one-star review, and they'll go through every aspect of the movie, just eviscerating it. And it's like, I don't know why they. Maybe it's because they, they think their comments more likely to be seen by an indie movie, where they're like, oh yeah, James Cameron's not going to read my comment, but I can say this to this local filmmaker and i don't know it's but that's what made me really open my eyes to it is like other people who have made good movies and you look and see the same thing happen into them and you're like yeah it's not just me they're targeting indie indie movie makers for some reason (laughs) well yeah because uh they know it will hurt because steven spielberg would not give a fuck yeah a bad review from from some unknown uh, wannabe on IMDb or wherever they just wouldn't give a fuck. But the the artist who is 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 uh, unknown, you know, not a big celebrity name, they understand the idea that 
a million people can tell you that the film was great. One person tells you it sucks and that will stick with you. And that will be, you'll be trying to get to sleep at night and be thinking about the cool words that somebody said about your art. I always take this approach. If I really feel like I have to offer some constructive criticism, I'm not going to do it in public. I'm going to, I'm going to say, Good work online and then uh, contact them directly and say, you know, I have some things that might, you could use to improve that, you know, whatever you think. But this is all meant for construct to be constructive. And, not, you know, this is why it's not public. It's not. But those people who do it public, they are looking. It's very simple. I'm going to lift myself up by standing on you. You know, by yeah. by knocking you down, and but that's no way. They, those people will never succeed in life. They'll never lift themselves up because that's a bad strategy for boosting yourself. Yeah, I just saw uh, you know uh, a really good quote where it was like, "Knocking me down does not make you successful." You know right. what I mean? And uh, I don't, I, I don't want to keep you, Matt, if you got to go. But I did. I was at a premiere, and there was another guy there who fancied himself as you know a director. And he didn't have anything to do with this movie I went to. And it was cool. It was, uh, it was a cool movie. And so I'm talking to the director uh, with my friend afterward. And we're talking, there was like a one shot, you know, like a oneer, And um, there was all this cool action going on. And the, and the camera was like circling the action. And it was really cool. And I was telling the, uh, the director, I was like, I really liked that oneer you did. You had all that action going on. And the camera was circling. I was like, that shot would have you know, gave me anxiety the day before where I'm like, how many takes is it going to be? And it was outside too. So I'm like, you know, uh, you know, it's outside, you're losing light, you, um, you know, and so I was just trying to, you know, give him a nice compliment. Well, this other guy who had nothing to do with the movie came up and, uh, well, let me say this too. So the director of this movie was not the editor. Uh, someone else edited it. Okay. So, this guy comes up thinking he's a director. Well, he is a director too, but anyway, he comes up and he starts telling the guy a couple, uh, well, he poo-poo's me first. He's like, oh, well, I wouldn't have been nervous at all to do that one shot take. And then uh, says something to the guy about like, oh, and here's a couple editing things I would have done different. And I'm like, this is the premiere. You know what I mean? This is like, let them have their high. Yeah, you know, definitely. Yeah. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, nobody wants to hear your criticism on premiere day, and he didn't even edit it. Yeah, let let's go to that guy's house and and, and, and protest right right on his sidewalk in in chalk. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for coming today. I appreciate day after Christmas. Uh, most people are um, you know still hungover or whatever. I appreciate you stopping by. Keep keep in touch and. Uh, when I think of whatever movie idea I had that was the best idea since sliced bread, I'll get in touch with you and say, let's do this. Because I do have some resources, at least for the time being, uh, to get things done. So, you know, maybe maybe we'll do something together in the near future. Anyway, I'm really grateful that you thought to stop by and say hello. I, I uh, And just so, you know, and I'm not for everybody out there. I, w- I want to encourage people to watch the movie, Clay Zombies. I think it's a very heartwarming movie. Uh, I did not uh, look at it as in just an indie indie movie. To me, um, I you know what the the Clay stuff is. Jake's uh, it's his medium that he works in, but the story and the, the filmmaking and the uh, 
the emotion and the emotional impact of the movie is first rate. It's as good as any fucking Hollywood production I've ever seen. I mean, it, it it's heartwarming and it's a very good story and I love it. So great work. Oh, thank you. Be thank proud you. of it. Yeah, thank you. Fuck the haters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I love the show, Matt. I'm always trying to watch uh, in the mornings at work, you know, coffee with the dog. And uh, I was thinking, well, I have Monday off. I'll reach out. Maybe I can finally, you know, uh, hang out with the dog again. So appreciate well, you letting me on. Great to have you here. I miss you. And you come back whenever you want. Whenever you have the availability, come on back. I'd love to talk to you. Thanks awesome, for coming. Awesome, my friend. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye for now. You too. Jake Danger Jolly, who doesn't want to tell you why they call him Danger. I know why. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's the show for today. I got. I think I have to go to the studio and meet with somebody today. I should just. Everybody else is staying home. Why can't I just stay home on a cold winter day? In a deep and dark December. Uh, that's the show for today. Thanks for coming. I appreciate everybody. Go watch Clay Zombies, ClayZombies.com, or, or, or you can uh, watch it on Tubi, 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 T-U-B-I, uh, if you have the service. If not, get the service, damn it. Uh, that's the show for today. I'm looking for my out music so I can leave. Um, don't forget to turn on your radio. Bye for now.
to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.